0: Thanks for being here Uh, tonight. I know it's the second week of classes now, and I don't know what that means yet. I guess syllabus day is over. Drop ads over, right? Or y'all call it ad drop, don't you? It was drop ad back in my day because there was no way we were adding a class before we dropped another one. But that's just a place where UGA is a little bit different than it is now. Uh, Well, hey, uh, my name is Donnie Holiday. I am one of your staff members. And... uh, Just thankful for another Thursday night uh, here at Christian Campus Fellowship, the Big Blue House on Millage, as we refer to ourselves. So whether uh, you are here in the room or joining us on the live stream, thanks for doing that. Uh, I also want to remind you, uh, we'll we'll keep reminding you this until everybody's like, oh yeah, that's the thing. We have a podcast. So if for some reason you want to go back and listen to me again, there's a podcast for it on all the places where you find podcasts. Hope that means something to you because I don't really know. But I'm on Spotify, but I don't even... I, I still have commercials on Spotify. I don't even pay for it. I'm that old school. Yeah, I know, right? So, yeah, sometimes... Can we use your phone for, spot, for, for a playlist at CCF? Nope, because you'll get ads. Um, so I am that cheap. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we have that available. And I, my, I thought I was going blind. Thank <laughs> you. I was like, I cannot see my notes. What is the deal? Man. Okay podcasters, we'd had half the lights on until right then, now we just turned them all on, so, because I was really confused what was going on. Man, I really, my dad had cataract surgery this morning, I thought maybe I needed it or something. Good grief. Um, wow. Okay, I feel so much better now. But we do have a podcast, so if, you, you know, if there's something that, you know, that, that I say tonight, you're kind of like, I wonder what he meant by that. If you want to go back and listen to it again, that's the thing, you can do that. Um, so, yeah. Well, uh, our theme this year, we have a theme every year, and this year it is story time. Uh, you might notice as you look around the room, if, if you're familiar with some of the stories in the Bible, and if you're not, we're going to unpack a lot of these. So if you're like, I don't know what that is, don't worry about it. We'll probably talk about it at some point. Um, and our, our theme verse comes from a book in the Bible called John, named after the men, man credited with writing it. Basically, Jesus says, the scriptures point to me. So what we're saying this year is that the whole Bible is all about Jesus, that it is one big story. Okay, so I don't want you to, uh, you know, think, oh, we're just talking about stories. I mean, is this like a Sunday school thing? Are they using like a children's Bible or something? Well, not exactly, but we are kind of using the Jesus Storybook Bible as our jumping off point. And if you're like, that looks like a children's Bible. Well, once you read it, you'll realize, dude, there's pictures and stuff. but This is not a children's Bible. This stuff is deep. It's some really good stuff. But what we're doing this year, don't think about it as we're spending the year looking at stories in the Bible. Instead, I want you to focus on the fact that we're spending the year looking at the story of the Bible, because the whole Bible is about Jesus, every bit of it. It all points uh, to Jesus. Some of the pointing is very obvious, some of the pointing you kind of have to point this way like this, but it's, but it, it, it's there. And So we're going to spend the year uh, unpacking, unpacking that, which I'm really excited to do, and excited for tonight's uh, talk in a... In a pretty big way, actually. So I'm going to pray before I go any further, and then we will dive in. So do what you do when you pray. God, uh, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for another Thursday at CCF. And um, God, every time when I get up here, I am, uh, I am aware that I need you to speak for me. Uh, some nights I am uh, more keenly aware of it, and tonight is one of those. So I pray that you would get me out of the way, that you would not let anything come out of my mouth that is not of you that you would say exactly what you want to say uh, for me, and that you would hear for each of us exactly what you want us to hear. Uh, we love you, God. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for the Bible as, as his story. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, as a pastor, uh, I get asked a lot of questions. Um, a lot of questions. You know, stuff like, dude, Donnie, why is there a talking Bible? A talking Bible? talking talking donkey in the bible or things like wait a minute Jesus had brothers and sisters or like what is up with this dude Paul why is he so down on women and i love when questions get asked if you're like if you're like Paul who's is that another staff member no 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 paul's a guy <laughs> paul's the first ever christian missionary traveled around the mediterranean world telling people about jesus wrote a bunch of letters uh, started a bunch of churches, wrote a bunch of letters to those churches, and a lot of those letters have been uh, preserved. And there are a couple sentences here and there that make people think uh, Paul uh, doesn't really think uh, too much of women. And let me just say this, when those questions are posed, when they're sincere and honest questions, even if they're really difficult questions, I love it. That I literally uh, this week have had a really long text exchange with a a student who's, who's reading some difficult stuff in the Bible is like, what is up with this? And I really enjoy that. Now, I'll just tell you straight up, you text me when I'm at home with my family. You're probably not getting the text until the next morning, but you will get a response because I love talking Bible when, the, when those questions are sincere. Now, please don't ask me if God can make a rock so big that he can't move it because that's a waste of both of our times. I'm sorry. That, I don't, I'm not interested in somebody trying to play Stump the Preacher. But if you're asking a sincere question, I will tell you that the talking donkey in the Bible is there to get our attention just like it got the attention of the dude who was riding it when it started talking. Incidentally, that guy's name is Balaam. You can read about that in a book called Numbers that, even if you're not a math person, is not as boring as you might think. And Balaam not only talked with the donkey, he argued with the donkey and lost the argument to the donkey. The Bible's fascinating stuff. Uh, Jesus had siblings. He sure did. One of them, we know his name was James. James wrote a letter to a bunch of Christians uh, that was preserved and taken care of, and we actually uh, have it at the end of the Bible. So James thought his big brother was the Son of God. Now, I'm an only child. I don't have siblings, but for those of you with a brother, what would he have to do to convince you that he was the Son of God? Just like, yikes. He's like, I don't even know. Um, And why was Paul so down on women? He wasn't. There are a couple things that if you do what a lot of people like to do and pull it out of context, you might think that. But if you read from the beginning of Romans, the first letter attributed to Paul, to the end of Philemon, the last letter attributed to him, if you read all of that openly and honestly, you can't come to the conclusion that Paul disrespected women. He calls one woman a deacon, that was a male church leadership term. He calls another woman an apostle, the only woman in Scripture who's called an apostle, Paul calls her an apostle. Okay, every time he lists people at the end of his letters where he's like, these people are awesome, you should look up to them, it always includes women. Every single time. And that's the type of stuff I like talking about and asking questions about, so why do you think that? Why do you, and, and having these conversations, because questions are how we learn. Now, just be to, to be fair and so you know, if you come to me with a question, Bible question or not, the Bible is my go-to. That's where I'm going to Start my my discussion with you. I don't want to say my answer because I don't want to just be like the answer man, but I'm going to give you some things to think about, and it's probably going to come from the Bible, even if you don't think your question is so much of a Bible question. Because the Bible is a story, but it's a story with a ton of answers. It's not like an answer key, but it's got a ton of answers in it. That's why I use it. That's why I do my best to have a biblical worldview, filter everything that I think about and and say and and read and hear through the lens uh, of the Bible. Because reading the Bible and following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. You will hear that a lot if you hang out here. Because it's true. What's also true is that biblical illiteracy is a huge problem right now. There are so many Christians that have no idea. No idea what they actually believe. There's a lot of Christians who think things are okay that the Bible straight up says aren't. There are things that people think Christians shouldn't do that the Bible straight up says, not that you, it's okay if you do this, but that you should do. Biblical illiteracy is is really a problem. So just know if you come to me and want to talk about stuff, we're going to talk about the Bible because it's useful. It answers a lot of our questions. And we're going to look at a really big one tonight. We're not going to answer it tonight. But I think tonight will be helpful as we start to answer this pretty big question. Just so you know, Thursday night is never meant to be the end of the conversation, but the start of the discussion. Okay, so if later tonight you're thinking about something I said and you're like, what was up with that? I do not understand that. Well, give Sam a couple days to get the podcast up and then go back and listen to it and be like, nope, that was the part. And then feel free to shoot me a text and be like, you know, minute... 27, what in the world were you talking about? And I'll be like, I don't know. Let me find a podcast and listen to it and figure it out. And then we'll talk about it. Uh, But I do want this to be the beginning uh, of the conversation. But the big question we're going to look at tonight, uh, some form of this I get asked on a pretty regular basis, why do bad things happen? All right. Fair question, because bad things do happen. Now, uh, sometimes people say things like, you know, if, if God's so good, why do bad things happen? If God's so loving, why do bad things happen? If God's so powerful, why does, he, why, why does bad things still happen? Why doesn't he stop all of it? That's, I mean, I think these are fair questions. More often than not, though, what gets added is not at the beginning, but at the end of the question, which is why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, I think we wonder this a lot. I think we, we've asked this a lot. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, I need you to uh, honestly brace yourself a little bit for the beginning of my answer because what I'm ab- how, how I'm about to start my answer to this question is going to be jarring and frankly might upset some of us. Okay? I'm just asking you to just stick with me. Okay? Why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. Okay? They don't. And right now, maybe you're like, dude, Donnie, one of the best people I know in my life is dealing with something tragic. How can you stand up there and say that? Well, let me just, I get that. My mom's one of the best people I know. She's never met y'all. She prays for y'all all the time. Okay, she's old school. She sends like cards, like handwritten. And she doesn't just like, oh, this is a cool Hallmark card. I'll just sign my name. No, you get a whole note on the other side of the card also. Okay, one of the best people I know. When I was in eighth grade... She was diagnosed with a bacterial infection in her lungs. That was almost 30 years ago. She's been sick for 30 years. So when I say they don't, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. My mom would agree with that, and I'll get to that in just a second. But if what the Bible says is true, and I believe it is, and this has kind of become one of my new things that I'm probably going to say a lot because I work from a biblical worldview, or I try to, now, if you want to know what the Bible says, you need to read it. We've got to get rid of the biblical illiteracy. But if what the Bible says is true, bad things don't happen to good people because there aren't any. That man named Paul, who I was talking about earlier, had this to say in a book written uh, to the, to the um, Christians in Rome Romans 3 uh, 10 through 12. None is righteous. Nope, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Thank you. You'll notice it's in quotes. It's because he got this from Psalms, a book earlier in the Bible. So it's not like Paul was just spouting this out because he was having a bad day and was mad at the people in Rome. This is throughout the Bible. And our response to something like that, that, you know, I'm not a good person, is, well, okay, Donnie, I know, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but it's not like I'm, and then think about how you're going to finish that. It's not like I'm as bad as them. I mean, I'm no angel, but I'm not as bad as they are. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm not as bad as... That dad on the beach I saw a couple years ago who, as he was setting up the tent, being a dad on vacation at the beach can be stressful, y'all, because by about Wednesday or Thursday, unless it's a beach that lets you keep your tent set up, setting that thing up over and over again gets a little old. This dad had had it. <laughs> and he's setting it up, and the kids just, the kids are being kids. They, you know, he, he got a head start, and they come running through and just throw their stuff and take off running because that's what kids do. And he starts calling them back, and they're not coming back fast enough. And I am not kidding y'all. This grown adult dad reaches down, grabs his daughter's um, sandals, and chunks them down the beach. And in one of those moments, when and if you ever have kids, you'll have these moments where the parent and the child kind of switch spots. The little girl looked up at him and just went, She's like eight. She's like, Why'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching this unfold. And it's like God gives me, if if NCIS fans, he gives me like a gib slap to the back of the head, and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, that's why people aren't the standard. Because it's like, I may not be a perfect dad, but I'm better than that dude. Well, that dude could find a dad he's better than. Okay, those of us that claim to follow Jesus, other people aren't the standard. Jesus is. Okay, and so maybe we ask ourselves, and, and we push back on this, okay, so maybe we're not good, but God is. And so if God's good, and loving, and all that, why's bad happen? Don't worry about to two good people, just why's bad happen if God's good? And here's how I want to answer that question. I want to, I want to do what, um, what a CCF alum likes to call a Jesus juke. I'm going to do what Jesus would do. When Jesus is asked a question, he does one of two things. He asks another question. Jesus had to be a remarkably frustrating individual. <laughs> or he told a story, which I think at times you're like, oh, Grandpa Jesus, come on. (laughs) I just asked a question. Well, why do bad things happen? Well, let me tell you a story. A long time ago, there were two people. They lived in a garden. They had one rule. They broke it. And that's why bad things happen. It really is that simple. Okay? Okay. If you're not familiar, that's a super short summary of the part of the Bible that we find in the part called Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginning because Christians are super creative with their Bible names. Um, So God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in a garden, tells them, that tree's a no-no. Eat anything else you want. That tree's a no-no. They had one job. We all know this idea. There are memes made from this. You had one job. I mean... One job. This one's fascinating. I don't know. The, the, the stairs are going down, but the stair rail is going up. That one's cool. I mean, and I, this, I, this crap. I, I love the school thing. It's like, is it? Oh. It's like school. Oh, no, no. But they had one job. They had one job. Um, Genesis 2 uh, kind of gives us an idea of what this job is. This is Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man. Let me stop here for just a second. Because a lot of times in this story, when we get around to them eating from the no-no tree, people are like, yeah, the woman did it. Okay, yes, Eve did eat from the tree. Adam's the one that got the command and passed it on to Eve. And it also says, Eve ate the fruit and gave some to her husband who was with her. He's right there. He knows she's not supposed... So this whole idea of it's the woman's fault, all the man has to do would be like, don't eat that. <laughs> but no. Anyway, the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So they had one rule one job. That's it. And so I think it's very easy for us to really get down on Adam and Eve and be like, oh, you had one rule. How do you break one commandment? You just had one. That's all we have. When Jesus was closing out his time on earth, he wrote, he, he didn't write this, he said this to his, uh, to his closest followers, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How are we doing with our one job? And just in case we look at that and we're like, well, yeah, but that's not about Jesus dying, just as I have loved you. He wasn't dead yet. He had not died yet. This was not about Jesus dying. This was about the fact that every single person at that table had a story that they could tell about something that Jesus had said to them or done for them that let them know he loved them. This is about a man named Matthew who was one of those hated people on the planet and Jesus said, you come hang out with me. Okay. This is about women who were pushed to the side in society and Jesus saying, there's room at the table for you. That's what, that, that's, what that's about. So we can't really get too down on Adam and Eve for breaking their one rule because we, we break that one all the time. Now, I think it's fair, though, to wonder, like, but it's, I mean, it was one thing. Is it really, like, is it really that big a deal? How could just one thing have such a profound impact? Well, I think the Jesus Storybook Bible really explains this, explains how imperfection mars, uh, mars perfection when it, when it says this, terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, and now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. So, yeah, make no mistake, bad things happen. But bad things happening was not the plan. Bad things happening are a consequence a consequence of something that uh, frankly over the last several years, couple decades, um, Christians have become less and less likely to talk about. And that's a word, sin. We don't like talking about it. We don't like talking about it. But we need to. Now there's a lot of ways you can define it. I'm not going to tell you the Greek, believe it or not. I'm just going to go a little more practical with this. If you're not familiar, most of the, well, kind of the latter quarter of the story of the Bible is written mostly in Greek, and I like talking about the Greek language. I'm not going to do that with this one, because I think we know what sin is at the end of the day. It means doing something God says not to do or not doing something He says to do. That's a good start of a definition. So by that definition, Adam and Eve sinned because that tree was a no-no tree, and they ate it. Don't do that. And they did it. But have you ever wondered, like, but, I mean, what's the big deal? It's just one tree. And here's where it's one of those places where if you're a Christian, I have one response for you. And if you're not, kind of like, well, let me get to that answer for you in just a second. But if you're a Jesus follower, the fact that God said don't do it's good enough. Period. Period. Now, the cool thing about God is he's okay with us asking questions and kind of explains himself in places where, honestly, I don't think um, he really needs to uh, or has to, but it's nice that he does to kind of give us an idea because sometimes we're like, what? Like, why didn't he want them to eat from that tree? Like, not so much why was it a a sin that they did because, okay, I can see that's disobedience, but why did he not want them to eat from that tree? The Jesus Storybook Bible tells it this way, and, and and I love this. Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. Because you see, God knew if they ate the fruit, they would think they didn't need him. And they would try to make themselves happy without him, but God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him, and life without him wouldn't be life at all. If they do this, they'll think they know everything. They'll stop trusting me. They'll think they don't need me. That was God's concern for his children. Then and now. I will just tell you, the older I get, the more questions I have. The older I get, the more I realize I don't know. Like, for example what was Adam and Eve's sin? Like, was it just disobedience? Was it not trusting God? Was it arrogance? Was it pride? Was it self-righteousness? I mean, what was it? What if it was independence? Now I realize this might seem a little weird to tell a bunch of college students that potentially I might be saying that independence could be a sin because everyone in the world is telling you to be independent and grow up. And yes, maturity is important. But what Adam and Eve did wasn't about them wanting to grow up. It was about them wanting to not be dependent on God, thinking we don't really need God, thinking we're good enough on our own, thinking I can do it myself. Thousands of years ago, but we haven't moved very far in that regard. I have a friend who says the worst present anyone ever gave her child was this book. I can do it myself, which sounds good, right? You're supposed to, like, you know, instill independence in children, get them to, get them to do stuff, and I get that, help, help them, you know, grow up and things like that. But this became her daughter's mantra to the point that she wouldn't ask for help, like, no matter what she's doing, which is terrifying. When a three-year-old's like, yeah, I got it, I'll make my own bowl of cereal, that's not going to be a problem at all. You know, I mean, but we've all done this, right? You need some help? No, I'm good. I got it. I'm cool. It's okay. I got it. You big liar, just ask for help. I mean, it's like it's okay. Just ask for some help. Or even if you don't ask, if, if help is offered, accept it. Be like, yeah, sure. I'd love some help. Because I guarantee you the folks that had this one job or these one jobs wish they'd asked for some help. I mean this dude up here in the backhoe that you can't even see because somehow he buried... How did he even do that? If you, I know it's kind of hard to see, but that's a big pile of gravel and just like the arm of the backhoe sticking out. Like how, you know he's sitting there like, well, it's awfully dark all of a sudden. Probably should have asked for some help. I mean, why, why, do, why, why am I trying to do it myself? Whatever it is, you know, whether it's passing a class Working on your mental health, learning more about Jesus, moving a table, coming back from addiction—whatever it is. Ask yourself this: Why am I trying to do it myself? Okay. If you were here last week, I mentioned that it's going—it's going to be the same with well, different questions every week. But you're going to see the same question each week a lot. And last week's question, I think, was like a you, like second-person question, and I felt like it was, i feel like if I did that with this, it'd be a little too pointy. So but this is what we're asking ourselves. Why am I trying to do it myself? You know, maybe it's like, oh, I can handle this. It's okay. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. Romans 3 says you're not, which I know is hard to hear, but if what the Bible says is true, and I believe it is, then we're not good. We can't do it ourselves. That's the whole point. Y'all, that's the whole point of the Bible. That's the whole point of Jesus And here's the thing about Jesus. He's the one exception to bad things don't happen to good people. Because Jesus is the one good people that ever lived. He's it. He's the one good person that ever lived, and the worst things that have ever happened to people happened to him. Y'all, he was killed in a way that's so painful, they had to make a word up for it. That's what the word excruciating means. It literally means out of the cross. Because no other word to describe the pain was good enough to describe how painful uh, crucifixion is. He's the only good person to ever live, and plenty of bad things happen to him. And maybe we ask ourselves, but why would that happen? Well, to rescue us. See, the cool thing about the Jesus Storybook Bible is it's not this this love story story. It's a story of rescue. That's the whole point. The Jesus story of the Bible doesn't use the word Savior. The, the, the Bible has a lot of nicknames uh, for Jesus, a lot of different terms. And Savior is a pretty common one. But the Jesus story of the Bible never uses it. Instead, it uses the word rescuer. And I just think that's such a great term. And to kind of see where that comes from, the last little part of this section part of the Jesus Storybook Bible about when Adam and Eve messed everything up, talks about this. It says, God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world, their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because you see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children. And this is how the Jesus Storybook Bible describes God's love. With a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run away from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him lost children yearning for their home. But before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. I will come to rescue you, and he would. One day, God himself would come. Y'all, that's the first promise of Jesus, and it's in the third chapter of the Bible. In a traditional Bible, that's Genesis 3. It is over 900 more chapters before Jesus shows up. And in those 900 chapters, there's a whole bunch of other promises for Jesus. But literally, you're like on the third page if you start reading a Bible when all of a sudden it's like, he's coming. When the rescue plan is made known. And the thing about being rescued, though, is that in order to be willing to be rescued, you have to realize that you need to be rescued. That you're not good enough on your own, that you can't do it yourself. So please, keep asking yourself, why am I trying to do it myself? I think we try to do it ourselves because we think we can. But even as we think about that, I think we also realize that something's missing. And the Jesus story of the Bible spoke to that. Deep in their hearts, God's children would miss Him always and long for Him. You ever feel like something's missing? Like there's got to be more to it than this? I saw an interview a few years ago with Tom Brady, who's a professional football player, Plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now at the time. He was playing for the New England Patriots. He just won its fifth Super Bowl. And he does this interview and he says, I've done everything there is to do. Won five Super Bowls. And all I can think is, there's got to be more to it than this. There's got to be more to it than this. I've heard it described as we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We all have it, and we try to fill it with stuff. Relationships, social media likes, maybe UGA football, maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe church attendance. See, it can be good things. Maybe grades, maybe service projects. That's the thing that's so messed up about this God-shaped hole, is we try to fill it with things that actually look good and helpful. But if it's a God-shaped hole, anything else you try to fit in there is an idol. And by an idol, I mean something that's taking the place of God. We have this idea that idols are are always just terrible, awful things. They're not. An idol is anything that you put in the place where only God belongs. The three most dangerous idols in my life are sitting in the back of the room. My wife and two daughters there are three, all three of them, the three greatest blessings in my life, three of the greatest blessings in my life. But if I put them in a place, if I try to make them fill that God-shaped hole, they can't do it. And that's not fair to them either. Okay, I'll just tell you right now, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you feel like they're putting you up on that pedestal, you need to break up with them. Because you cannot live up to that. Okay, and if you're doing that to them, you need to break up with them because they cannot live up to that. It's called a God-shaped hole for a reason. We all have it. We all have this God-shaped hole. We're all trying to fill it with other stuff. How's that working for you? It's called a God-shaped hole because only He can fill it. You can't fill it yourself. So why am I trying to do it myself? Yes, I want want that question ingrained in our heads. And Jesus speaks to this about why we shouldn't try to do it ourselves. In some of his final words, shortly after that that new commandment that he gave, um, he says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with Him like it was initially back in the garden with Adam and Eve when they used to walk around with God in the cool of the day. That's literally in the Bible. How cool is that? Gentle evening breeze. And God's like, I want to go for a walk. And they're like, sure. That's cool. We're not supposed to try to do it ourselves. We're not supposed to walk alone. So why am I trying to do it myself? I mean, could it be because I think I know best? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. The word that the Jesus Storybook Bible says shows you how life works best. That's why I try to have a biblical worldview, because it shows you how life works best. The word that I believe will make your life better and make you better at life. Adam and Eve thought they knew best too. They stopped trusting God. Here are some second-person questions that are hard, but they stopped trusting God. Have you? Just be honest. Did you ever really start? Do you need to restart? We live in a world that tells us to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You ever tried that? Okay. Live streamers, I'm going to disappear for a second. You can't do it. Like, if you just start yanking on your shoelaces, bootstraps, whatever... Unless you've got like an 18-pack instead of a six-pack, you're not getting up. It won't work. You can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What a stupid idea. (laughs) You can't do it. So please ask yourself, why am I trying to do it myself? Because the Jesus Storybook Bible says it, and God promises it, that He is coming, and He has already come. Jesus, the Rescuer as the, the story of the Bible refers to him, has already come. He's already done everything that's needed for you to be rescued from sin and all of its consequences. And just to be perfectly clear, this is not a rescue that only happens after you die. Following Jesus is not about going to heaven when you die. It's about living in heaven now. It's about stopping trying to do it yourself, letting Jesus rescue you, and giving him your life because he already gave you his it's a terrible trade his life good perfect mine yours i mean but jesus is just like here i'll give you mine all you got to do is realize that you need to be that you need to give me yours let me rescue you from your messed up life and i'll give you my perfect life Because Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. But you have to stop trying to do it yourself. It's not complicated, it's hard to do, but it's not complicated. And if we think, I don't know, Donnie, I think it is complicated. I don't I don't know. I don't know enough. Okay. There's a really easy way to fix that. You find yourself a Bible. They're all over the place. And you read about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four accounts of Jesus' time on earth. They're called the Gospels cuz they're good news. Read those. Okay? There's going to I'm going to start a group me actually over the weekend or early next week to read through them in a month, 10, 15 minutes a day, and you can read through them in a month with no problem. And I will talk to you about that all day long. Because what you do with your sin and what you do with Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. It's that simple. Jesus wants to rescue you from your sin. Whether or not we let him is the most important decision we will ever make. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we stop trying to do it ourselves and let Jesus rescue us. Let's pray. God, you are are good even though we are not. I thank you for that thank you for loving us and taking care of us. I thank you for doing everything necessary to rescue us, God. And I pray that you would just help us see that trying to do it ourselves just isn't going to do it. It doesn't work. Help us to trust you. Help us to ask questions of people that we trust to help ourselves trust you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him being our rescuer. We love you, God. We thank you for all that you do. And most of all, for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.